My name is Ryan Toller. I have the absolute pleasure of running the college ministry here at the chapel. I uh, hope you guys had a great new year, especially last night. Uh, in the college ministry, we, we used to have a New Year's party, but I stopped it uh, for some observations. One, college students say they have no money, but when New Year's runs around, the amount of fireworks they buy is just ridiculous. <laughs> they must all get bonuses or something the day before New Year's because it's dangerous. It's like an arsenal. So I like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And then they, they also say, they say they care about human life, but the way they aim those fireworks at each other, <laughs> they're lying. They're lying. So I was just stressed out most of the time. So we stopped it. So it was a peaceful, my first peaceful New Year's was last night. Uh, so... I hope yours was just as peaceful. Uh, but again, I'm glad to be here. I love being able to teach on Sundays and on Thursdays. And I'm, I'm super excited to be here today uh, because what I, what I get to teach on is something that matters a whole lot to me. Uh, and it's not just an idea. It's not just a theory that, that it has shaped into my life. Uh, and it's not just affected my relationship with the Lord, but it's, but it's changed how I interact with other people too. So I, I get excited about this. And I know what we're gonna be talking about today, many of you get excited about as well. And it matters for you. And what, what it simply is, is forgiveness. And if, and if, I, if I've come to see anything uh, in my 27 years of living, which is not that long, uh, it, is, it is that Christmas time, Christmas time and forgiveness are so intertwined. And you might think, you might think, well, yeah, Christmas time's the time where our Savior showed up to forgive us of our sins. Like, I, I definitely agree with that. But when I say Christmas time and forgiveness are so intertwined, I actually mean it in a little bit of a different way. And that is that, that I think many of us have experienced this, but to see that Christmas time is one of the greatest times where the battle of forgiveness wages on in our hearts right? Because the people who have hurt us the most sometimes are the ones that have lived the closest with us. And, and so I have no doubt there was times sitting around dinner tables these past days where a, a mistake of yours keeps getting brought up when the family gets together or the success of another and the failure of yours gets brought up. I, I have no doubt people were hurt over these, over these Christmas holidays. And, and if there's anything for us today, I believe for those of us who have been hurt, maybe there's some people that we need to forgive from the past week, or maybe there's some people we need to forgive of the past years or decade that we have been choosing to not forgive. And so uh, I, I, we're going to be teaching out of uh, Matthew 18, and it's gonna, I think it's going to speak to us in a unique way today. And so as we, before we begin, uh, I, I want us to get on the same picture of forgiveness, because I'm going to say it a whole lot. Uh, and so to, uh, some people define it differently, and that's totally fine. But for the sake of today, here's what I mean when I say forgive, when I say forgiveness. It is, if, if you have wronged me and I'm choosing to forgive you, this is what I'm committing to do. One, that, that I won't bring up your hurt to me. Okay, so if you've hurt me, I'm not gonna allow your hurt to dwell on my mind, to live there. Just as uh, Hebrews 12 talks about that the Lord remembers our sin no more, I am going to commit to do the same thing. I'm going to commit to, to not remember your sin anymore. It's not gonna live inside of me. But I'm not just gonna not bring it up to myself. I'm, I won't bring it up to you, you who hurt me. I'm not gonna use it as this, as this thing to enslave you so that you know how bad you hurt me and you feel guilt and you feel shame. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna use it as a way to 
have leverage over you. I'm not gonna bring it up to you. I'm not gonna bring it up to me. And lastly, I'm, I'm not gonna bring it up to anyone else, to another. I'm not gonna go to someone to gossip. Hey, can you, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? Listen, I have forgiven you, and I am committing to these three things when I commit to forgive. And now, now there are some times I think it's good to bring up past sin, but I'm committing not to bring it up in order that I won't harm you. But like a a time to bring something up is, let's just say someone hurts me. Uh, Anytime someone walks in the room, this one person, let's just say he he punches me in my right eye. Next time he walks in the room, I probably should bring it up in my mind that he's going to probably punch me in my right eye again so I can make an orderly exit out, right? There are times to be wise to bring up things, but I'm not bringing it up in my mind to hurt the other person. Or uh, in terms of I won't bring it up to another person, maybe there's a, let's just say there's a, a, a married couple and one of them is struggling with pornography. My hope is that the other spouse would bring it up in the sense to say, hey, how are you doing? How can I be a help to you? Not to use it as this like guilt, shame thing over the other person, but to, to be a help to the person. And then there's certain places to bring it up to another person, but I think it's more focused on me. Like if I was to go to someone older, I would say, hey, someone hurt me, but can you help me? Because I'm not like Jesus to them. So the focus is on me, not on them. So a little side note there, there are times to bring it up, but for the vast majority, I'm not gonna bring it up to me. I'm not gonna bring it up to you. And I'm not gonna bring it it up to another. And so, uh, but uh, at least in my life, I have, if, if something is true when it comes to forgiveness, and this is how we're gonna be speaking on it in terms of um, today, is we have a tendency to shortchange the forgiveness of Jesus. And here's a $100 bill. Yes, it's mine. It's my only one. Uh, but uh, I think we understand what shortchange means. If I went to Publix and I said, hey, can I have change for this first? They wouldn't believe this is real. They'd take that marker and swipe it. But then let's just say uh, to shortchange would be I'm gonna give it to the, to the lady at the register and she should give me back an equal amount that I gave her, right? But let's just say she, she thinks she can get some money and she sees I'm distracted and she takes a bunch of ones and wads them up and then folds a 20 over it so it looks like 100. And she gives me 30 back when I gave her 100. First, shame on me if I don't see that. But second, uh, I have been shortchanged. I gave 100 and she is giving less back to me. And if forgiveness was a currency and, and God has given us $100 of forgiveness, we have a tendency as believers to shortchange what he has given to us. And if, if $100 was the complete amount of forgiveness, like if forgiveness was a currency, you couldn't go over $100, Jesus has given us the complete amount. And yet, we take the complete amount, and when it comes time to give back to another, it's a dime. It's a dollar. Maybe $10. 20 uh, It depends on how bad they hurt me right? That we have a terrible tendency to shortchange such an amazing gift and not give it to another. And so uh, my hope is by the end of today, we would see the foolishness of shortchanging the forgiveness of Jesus when it comes to other people. And, and, and we're going to go to a passage to do that. Turn, uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew 18. We're going to be starting in verse 21. <clears throat> this is a, a parable that Jesus is going to tell us about. But before we begin, you might say, well, Ryan, 
how do I know I'm, I'm shortchanging? How do I know that I'm taking the much and giving the less? How, tell me, help me here. How do I know I'm shortchanging? Uh, in my life, I've come to see the greatest indicators of me shortchanging the forgiveness of Jesus is simply what I think and what I say. And I'm gonna throw some sentences up here, and I'm calling these sentences forgiveness shortchangers, that uh, they are the indicators that I am shortchanging his forgiveness. Uh, this is not a comprehensive list, but I think we'll catch on to the type of sentence we might say to one another. So if you find yourself saying these things, you have a, it's a pretty good indicator that, that I'm shortchanging such an amazing gift that was given to me by Jesus. So first one, uh, I'll forgive, but only if they're sincere when they apologize. I, I won't forgive them unless I can feel the, their sincerity. We've said that at times, I'm shortchanging, I'm taking the much from Jesus and giving the less to another. Another, they don't deserve it, you don't know what they did to me. I, I'm taking the much and giving the less because I did not deserve Jesus's forgiveness and yet he still gave it to me and yet I will not give it to another person because I think they don't deserve it. Another one, they need to, they need to know how bad it hurt me before I forgive them. I need to vent, they need to, they need to understand how bad I was hurt and then I'll forgive them. As a short changer, that's not how Jesus forgave us. I won't forgive if they keep hurting me. First time, sure. Second time, maybe. Third time, no way. No way. Another one, they need to earn my trust. They need to earn my trust before I forgive them. So here's, these are just a handful. You could probably list some other ones, but these are indicators that we're shortchanging his forgiveness. So I want us to start in Matthew 18, and it's gonna be interesting because Peter is gonna hit on one of these. This is what Peter says in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Really? So we see Peter, he's asking a short-changing question. Uh, if they keep hurting me, should I keep forgiving, right? It's a, it, the thought of Peter is the thought of us today. Here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave, he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. He laid himself before the Lord saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of his Debt. Okay, so here's, we have a king in this passage and there's a bunch of people in debt to him and he's like, it's time to pay up. You're in debt, it's time to pay up. And this guy shows up and he owes 10,000 talents, okay? That's, an, that's a lot of money. That's a, that's a tremendous amount of money. The most, the most amount of money I've ever owed is $30,000 to a loan shark in, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's he doing here? <laughs> No, actually, the most amount of money is $30,000, and I owed it to the U.S. government, okay, for student loans. I kind of wish I worked my tail off and didn't take them, but I made the decision. So I owed $30,000 to the U.S. government. And then I got married, and it doubled, okay? <laughs> we, me and my wife both made the same decision, and for some reason, we watched Dave Ramsey after we got into college, not before. So, but I'll tell you, we have been with gazelle-like intensity for those who have 
gazelle-like intensity. We have chased and paid back our debt in three years, which is wonderful. Thankful for the provision of the Lord there. So, but I don't, I don't tell you to tell you, don't tell you to tell, I don't tell you to say that, that to toot our own horn. Why do I tell you this? Because let's say I, a couple years ago, I had not, we had not paid this off and I, I, was, I was down $60,000. Let's say I'm sitting in my home I hear a knock at the door. I open it up and it's the President of the United States. I'm like, what's up, Joe? And he looks at me, sorry, what's up, Mr. President? He looks at me, he says, Ryan, that $60,000, you gotta pay up today. Oh no, Mr. Joe, I, uh, I, I don't know if I can do that. He says, you gotta. And so I'm like, I'm trying to think what I'm gonna do. I go to my Facebook page and I put a GoFundMe up on my Facebook page. <laughs> And my dog died six months ago, so I'll put that in there. And so you would be crying when you get to the point that I have $60,000 in debt, and then you might, I, then you might get help me pay my debt back. I hope you wouldn't, but you might. And, and then say it doesn't reach it. Say you guys give me $40,000, it's a lot of money. Like, oh man, I still got $20,000. I go to my college students and I'd say, college students, the amount of times that you have let, left a mountain of dishes in my sink that you dirtied and did not clean up is immense. The amount of hours I have spent clean, my, my wife has spent cleaning those dishes, okay? Tremendous. You guys owe me $10,000, all of you, start paying up. Yeah, it wouldn't do much, they'd probably give you 20 bucks. Uh, unless it was New Year's, then they could probably give me more, I guess. But what, what, what am I trying to do here? I'm trying to show there is a slight, slight chance in a day I could get 60 grand, slight. There is absolutely no chance on this earth that this servant in this passage can pay back 10,000 talents. It's not a $1,000 debt. It's not a $60,000 debt. The talents here, I, I, I went and looked it up. A denarii, if you worked hard for one day, you'd get one denarii. It would take 6,000 denarii to get one talent. This guy owes 10,000 of those, okay? I did the math, it's in the billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars that this guy owes. This is not a $1,000 debt, this is not a $60,000 debt, this is a debt that can't be repaid. There's no chance of it. And yet what does the king do? Wipes it away. Totally forgives the servant. And I was, I was kind of struck by the fact, I've never looked at the passage in this way, but I always focused on the servant here. Like, oh, it's so wonderful to be forgiven so much is great. But I never focused on what it costs the king. That yes, it's fantastic, it's fantastic that the, the debt of the servant was raised off his shoulders, but our minds just stop there and we don't recognize it was taken off the shoulders of the servant and put on the, the shoulders of the king. Now the unrepayable debt that the servant couldn't hit has to be settled by the king. It cost him much, much. And I want us to remember that as we, as we, move, as we move through here, that it costs, it's gonna cost the king much to pay back this, this servant. And he does it, he does it, he wipes it away. And what's, what's Jesus doing here? He is telling a fictional story, right? And he is, he is paralleling it with the real world, that, that you and I have a debt that we cannot repay, it's $300 billion, and it's not a debt of finances, it's a debt of morality, that we have sinned against a, a holy God, and God says, you can only be in communion with me, you can only be in my family if you're holy, but because we've sinned once, we can't be, it's impossible, and you know that, oh, let's see, 
You know that time that you had anger three years ago from one of your family? You have a record of wrong against you, right? And in this record of wrong, it says anger, 2,000 and something. This person and the cost to pay back this record of wrong, Jesus says, is a life of perfection. The problem, the problem is because I have this record of wrong, I can't pay it back. It's impossible for me to pay it back. And on, and on the bottom, it says, if you can't pay back, it's gonna take an eternity apart from Jesus, apart from the Lord. Well, I, that's, that's the direction I'm going. And, and so I can't, I can't pay this back because I need a life of perfection. This is, a, this is a debt that I can't repay just like the servant because of this one time of, of anger because we're sinful people. We've looked at God and said, no, I'd rather do it my own way. And that one time of anger is on our shoulders. We have a mountain of debt on our shoulders. You're like, well, that's only one. Well, I think we all know we've sinned a bunch of times. We've had a bunch of anger in our life. We've had reams, reams of anger. And this isn't single-sided records of wrongs of our anger. This is double-sided records of wrong, of our anger, okay? And we, uh, that, that anger is on our shoulders. All the times we, we sought to, to lie is on our shoulders. The moments that we told the white lie that we just used to embellish uh, some story to make ourselves look better, that's, that's on our shoulders. All the times we, we gossiped in our life, even the gossips we didn't recognize we were doing, and yet we still did it, that's on our shoulders. The times we looked at someone with lust in our eyes that we saw their body as a means to gratify our own self is on our shoulders. All the times we sought to manipulate someone through some, some strange sentence or, or a question trying to get them to do what we wanted in a sinful way, it's on our shoulders. Every time our eyes went to a place that it never should have and we stayed there is on our shoulders. The moments that our feet went to places we were never meant to go is on our shoulders. The times we've cheated our family is on our shoulders. The times we've cheated our work on our shoulders. The times we just smudged that one little, that one little line item on our taxes is on our shoulders. The times of, you name it, jealousy sitting there. You getting it? The times I've been passive as a husband is there. The times I've squandered being a steward of the money that Jesus had provided for me there. This doesn't even scratch the surface. This is, this is the record of wrong against us. And if one page, to pay off one page is a life of perfection, this isn't good news for me. I don't have the moral purity to pay this back. That the consequences are coming my way. But what did the king do? Look at Colossians 2. What did the king do? And you, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which just meant you live for what your body wanted to do. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, saying, if you can't pay this off, it's a life of trying to apart from Jesus. He, he's done away with it, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and how did he do it? This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. Now, do we, do we get that? that? That Jesus shows up, loud noise alert, and he cancels our debt. Totally wipes it away. That there's a clean slate on my plate. That there's nothing on my shoulders. 
And this isn't, I, I couldn't even think of a better way to depict this because this isn't even a biblical approach because Jesus didn't show up and wipe it off the stand. He took your mountain of debt and put it on his shoulders on the cross. And on that cross, he paid for every individual little sin you've ever done in your life. That time you had anger against your family member three years ago, paid for by the perfect blood of Jesus. That time you, you, your eyes dwelled in a place they were never meant to just yesterday, paid by the perfect blood of Jesus. And on that cross, he paid for every single one of them because of a perfect life within them. All of them. And still, and still this illustration falls short because some of you can still see the records of wrongs on the floor. But we see from, from Hebrews 12 that God remembers our sin no more, that he separates them as far as from the east as from the west, that he buries them in the, in the deepest parts of the sea. So the fact that you can still see it is wrong. He paid for it. That now when the father looks at you, he sees the perfect life of Jesus because Jesus paid for all of your sins that you never could, just like the servant. And yet, and yet, I, you know, I, I, I jump and I sing, which I, which I should. I say, thank you, Lord. And, and I just did this a couple minutes ago in worship. Thank you, Lord. This is a fantastic gift. And I worship you and I please you. Lord, you are wonderful for doing this. And with my mouth, I say thank you, just like the servant did in the passage. I have no doubt when that, when that unrepayable debt was lifted off the, sh the shoulders of the servant, he got on his hands and knees and said, thank you. And, and I do the same thing just minutes ago in worship. And yet I might say thank you with my with my mouth, but mere minutes later, hours later, days later, I, my actions spit on the wonderful gift of canceling my debt. My actions stomp on the wonderful gift of canceling my debt. My actions insult the wonderful gift of canceling my debt that he bore on the cross. And you might say, Ryan, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean you, you spit on his gift? That even though my mouth says thank you, my life says differently. How? Look at the next verse. Here's how we spit on the gift of the king. This is that slave who was forgiven, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell on the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Sounds familiar. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Listen, we, we spit and we mock and we insult the gift of Jesus when we refuse to extend forgiveness to another. No matter if our words say thank you, our life says no thank you. When I shortchange, when I shortchange his forgiveness. But this is what was so interesting to me that, uh, that as I was reading the passage, uh, I, I saw that the, the gift of the king to the servant was twofold. Like there was two parts to this gift of forgiving his debt. The first part of this gift was to release the debt of the servant, to give him, to show compassion and free him of what was on his shoulders. That was the first part. And the servant accepted it with hallelujahs. But the second part of the gift was that the king's forgiveness, the king always hoped that his forgiveness would forgive again in the servant to another. That was the second part of the gift. He always desired, that the king desired, servant, when I give you this gift, I really hope, the part of the gift is that you would give it to another. 
that the king's forgiveness would forgive again in the life of the servant. And we know this to be true. We know that this was a two-part gift because when the servant doesn't do it, as we just read, the king gets angry. And we'll see, we'll see in a couple minutes. He says, how could you not extend the mercy that I extended to you? The gift was always twofold, that the king would forgive again in the life of the servant on top of taking the debt off of his shoulders. And that is the, that is the same truth for me and for you today, that the king's gift is to remove our debt, but also that he would forgive again in us, that his forgiveness forgiveness would forgive again in my life. It was always twofold. And yet our life sometimes reflects the servant. We say, no, thank you. I was always, I was always meant to extend forgiveness after receiving it. And this and this fact of, I, I just get blown away when I look at my own life and I see such an amazing gift, such a wonderful thing, all of my debt being canceled and the disconnect, that I just wanna punch myself in my face, that, that I've seen so much, so much forgiveness in my life and yet someone wrongs me and I write the record of wrong and I write their, their consequence and I go over to them and I staple it on their forehead that now when they walk in the room, I don't see their face before I see their record of wrong against me. When, I, when I'm sitting in bed about to sleep and their name comes to my mind, I don't even think about their name before I think about how they wronged me. <clears throat> and do you see the disconnect? To be forgiven so much and yet hold menial, not, maybe it's not even menial, maybe it's a big thing, against someone else when my stand is completely cleared. And I know, I know some of you might be thinking, you don't know how bad they hurt me. That the pain that they caused me was tremendous. And yes, the, it sounds good to let the king's forgiveness forgive again, but practically I'm having a hard time. They hurt me. And, I, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna try to understand. I'm not gonna try to relate to how bad they hurt you by telling a story about how bad I was hurt? Because I don't think I could. Because there's some people in here who have been hurt far worse than what I have been. So I, I'm not gonna try to make you believe I get it, that I know how bad they hurt you. But the only thing, honestly, the only thing I can point you to is how bad we hurt him as he sat on that cross. That I am the reason he was there. And I... And again, I'm so sorry for what happened to you. What I've seen in my life, that what I did, the mountain of the times I spit in the face of God and said I'd rather do it again, the amount of times I slapped, in a, slapped him in the face that got him up on that cross, what he endured for my sake is infinitely worse than whatever's been done to me. And so while I can't, I can't try to make you believe I get it, what I can do is just direct you to how bad we hurt him, the cost of the king to remove our debt. And so, I, I can, in my mind, understand this disconnect. I, I get why it happens. Be, be forgiven so much and still hold it against another person. But I asked the question to myself, I said, <clears throat> excuse me, I said, why? Why, how can this happen? How can I be forgiven so much and not forgive another? And some, uh, some reasons, one, I think it might be one of the biggest reasons of how this disconnect happens 
is likely because I actually don't care all that much about his forgiveness. And if I don't care about the forgiveness of Jesus, why in the world would I care to extend it to another person? And that's been true for me. The, the times I haven't forgiven, it's likely because I didn't hold his forgiveness in that high regard in, in my own life. Another reason of this disconnect of a clear slate but still holding on to another could be that I have a faulty view of something in regards to Christ's forgiveness. And this wrong view with Christ's forgiveness in, my, in me is causing my forgiveness with others to not play out the way it should. That there's wrong thinking up here, which is a root between brokenness on a horizontal plane. And some, some examples of this that, that have been true, and that, that, that I know have been true in my life at times, and others have spoken to me about ways that we have it wrong with us and God, which is causing forgiveness to be broken on, on a playing field with others, is a word I like to call hellgiveness. We love making up words in the chapel. Doug does it a lot, so I figured I would too. But hellgiveness, okay? Here's what hellgiveness is. Hellgiveness is a faulty view of Jesus' forgiveness. That when I accepted him as, as my Lord, what he did is he just kept hell from me. He just keeps the worst from coming my way, right? That when I believed in him, uh, hellgiveness says, Lord, thank you for saving me, and all what you did is just kept hell. You kept the worst from coming my way. And so if we think that, if we think the, that belief in Jesus just withholds hell, then when someone hurts me, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna give them hell giveness. I'm just gonna withhold the worst from coming your way. Uh, ball up my fist and punch you in the face? No, that's the worst. I'm not gonna do that. <clears throat> Walk up to you in public and, and ridicule you in front of everyone? No, that's the worst. I'm not gonna do that to you. I'm giving you hell giveness. I'm keeping the worst from you. But not mention how you hurt me to myself you or others? No, 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 I'm not doing that. I just keep the worst. So you see how this faulty view of Christ's forgiveness is at times pushing us to, to break our, our, our relationships with others because when we hold hell giveness up to the forgiveness of Jesus, it falls hopelessly short. Because John 3.16 shows us that God, he loved us, he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, keeps the worst from us, but have eternal life. That forgiveness not just keeps the worst, but it gives the best. Another example is loan forgiveness. That, that many of us think, I have to work my way, I have to pay my way back to get forgiveness. And a lot of people spend their lives going to church and doing good things and, and trying to work so hard to be a good person. Lord, I'll meet you halfway if you'll meet me halfway and forgive me. But that, that's not forgiveness. We see in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God that there's nothing you can do in order to get it. And yet, I, I see loan forgiveness, this idea of I gotta work my way to even show up in believers. Like I, some of my college guys will say, Ryan, I feel like I need about three months of victory in this sin before the Lord listens to me. That they feel like they've been, they've been walking in the opposite direction of Jesus and conviction comes, oh, I need to turn around and get back to Jesus. And they turn around and they think Jesus is six miles up the road and they gotta do the hard work of perfection to get back to him. But the truth of the matter is when we confess and repent, we turn around, he's right there, he's never left us. And yet they feel like they gotta, they gotta work themselves to, in order to be restored back to Jesus. And that's just completely false. That loan forgiveness, loan forgiveness is not the forgiveness of Jesus. And when we hold them up to the forgiveness of Christ, they fall, they fall hopelessly short. Because Ephesians, Ephesians 4 is going to show us 
what God's desire is for us in terms of forgiveness, that we would be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as, I wanna focus on these two words, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So as those who, this is the Colossians 3, see the similar wording. As so as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You, that that the, the desire of the king is not that we would give hell forgiveness or loan forgiveness, but that we would give Christ forgiveness, that we would forgive just as Christ forgave us. And, I, and yet we struggle with that. We have a hard time with that. I, uh, the, what what kind of made sense to me is when I wrestle with this is kind of like a, a microphone and someone singing into it. I'm gonna put this over here. Like if... If Jesus is the singer and I am the microphone, that he has spoken forgiveness in me, that he has said forgiveness in me, it is inside of me and Jesus is probably a wonderful singer, so it's fantastic. I love how forgiveness is inside of me, but as the microphone, what we do sometimes is we, we go to the edge of our tail, of our cord, and we kick our cord out of the speaker so that it just stays between me and Jesus. But we are to forgive just as we were forgiven. And the silliness, the silliness of a microphone not plugged into the speaker is the same degree of silliness of a Christian who has received forgiveness but is not giving it to another person. That we were always meant to plug forgiveness into the speaker of our life, how we, how we speak, how we act, how we think, so that other people would see forgiveness as it plays out. That the mark of a Christian is how we forgive. You see a BMW going down the road, how do you know it's a BMW? Well, it has the mark of the BMW on top of it. You see a Christian car, a Christian person going down the road, how do you know they're a Christian? They have the mark of forgiveness on top of them. That when people interact with us, forgiveness is the means at which people will see us as believers. It's weird, it, it should be a microphone. He speaks into us, it goes out of the speaker of our lives. And so we forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. Just as. And we, at times, I think we like the words just as. We like those, we just don't like what follows. Christ forgave me, no, 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 no. I will deal with them just as they dealt with me. Right, I will deal with them just as I feel like it. I will deal with them just as someone else told me I should. See, we like, we like the biblical words of just as, we just don't like what comes after. But Jesus says, no, 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 look to how I forgave you and do that as well. Let the king's forgiveness forgive again in you. Now, some of you might, some of you might say, Ryan, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. I just, it's easier for me to, it's easier for me to not do it. I wanna, I wanna give you some reasons on why you should. I wanna, I wanna persuade you, show you why forgiveness is the best thing you could ever give to a person who has hurt you. The first, why forgive? Is because it, it reveals Jesus loudly. I, I'm convinced the world does not use forgiveness as an emotional currency. It doesn't know how. If, if you're supposed to live for yourself and you get what you deserve, the world looks at forgiveness and there's a question mark over it. Why should I forgive anyone? Doesn't seem to help me. 
And for that reason, for the reason that the world has a hard time with forgiveness is one of the greatest reasons on why we give it because Jesus is just magnified. Like I was, I was watching a, a court case of a, terrible, of a terrible story of someone walking into an apartment they thought was theirs, but the rightful owner was in there and the person walked in, the door was unlocked, so they thought someone was breaking into their home and they pulled a firearm and, and fatally shot the person who was in their rightful home. A terrible story. And, and this person who shot an innocent person was sitting in the court and, and, and justice was about to be brought down. The sentence from the jury was coming. And I, I, I can't forget that the person that was shot, their brother stepped on the stand, 18 years old. And he says, listen, uh, what, what's coming should happen. Whatever the, the court decides should happen. But he says, I want to let you know that the greatest problem in this courtroom is if you don't know Jesus. An 18 year old who just had his brother killed. The greatest problem here is if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know I have forgiven you and I really hope you come to know Jesus's forgiveness. Man, I wanted to be in that courtroom to see the head swivels, the mouth drops. You don't say that in a courtroom, but you do if you believe in Jesus. Because that young man had been forgiven so much. So why in the world would he shortchange? what was given to him. So it, it reveals Jesus loudly, but it doesn't just reveal Jesus loudly, it also frees me from bitterness. It's so interesting, we think when someone hurts me, I'm gonna take that hurt, I'm gonna hold it over them, and I, I hope they feel shame, guilt, and regret, and they are going to be enslaved to how bad they hurt me. Uh, they're gonna know how bad they hurt me, I'm gonna hold it over them for a long time that they are enslaved to it. But the truth of the matter is the person who is enslaved is not, is not the one who gave the hurt, but the person who is enslaved is the one who received the hurt and is not extending forgiveness. That if you have been hurt and you're not, a, you're not forgiving someone, you're enslaved to your master of bitterness. And, and you can see it. You're, someone hurts you, they walk in the room and your master of bitterness wraps you up in his arms. And all you feel is anger and bitterness for what they did. You can't even operate in the room that you should because your master has control over you. And you're allowing them to. You're about to go to sleep, their name comes to mind, and your master of bitterness just cuddles you up like your spouse, right? And, and your, your body is consumed in bitterness and you can't sleep because you're just consumed by, about what they did to you. And I'm telling you, to forgive someone, to, to do the steps of obedience, to say, I'm not gonna bring it up to me, I'm not gonna bring it up to you, I'm not gonna bring it up to another, will free you from that master. That it is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to forgive the person that has hurt you. And I would, be, I would be remiss, I would be angry at myself if I did not explain, if I did not share of how the Holy Spirit wants to play a role in your forgiveness as well that he, he, he is so intertwined that he wants to work inside of us. And I, and I experienced this as a young guy. There was a, a person who wronged me in a, in a, in a deep way, in a, in a terrible way when I was a younger, younger kid in middle school. And I hated this person. I hated him. I hated him. And there was a, there was a moment, there was a moment where I was so thankful for it that conviction came, that the king's forgiveness and my forgiveness connected, that I recognized how bad I hated him, and, I, and the Lord worked in my heart and said, I, I shouldn't be that way, I don't wanna hold this against him, and so for years, 
when I was going throughout my day, he, he'd come to mind, I'd say, I've forgiven him. I didn't even know the three statements. I just I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think about it. And I thought that's what forgiveness was, which it kind of was, but I, I, he comes to my mind, I've forgiven him, I've forgiven him, I've forgiven him. And what I've come to see is forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a, it's a decision of obedience. And eight years later, I was, <laughs> I was sitting in my college and I was coming out of a chapel and there's a, a, a double door threshold just like the back of South. And I, and I, I went to, I, I crossed the threshold and right when I did, he did. We had no idea, no idea we were there. And can I tell you, you know, I, there was this instant of like, oh, just don't recognize, don't, don't do anything. But what happened was I, I extended my hand out and I shook his hand and I said, I hope you're doing well. Now, can I tell you, can I tell you the excitement, the thankfulness, the gratefulness as I found sincerity behind those words, that I actually hoped he was doing well, no matter the wrong that he did against me. And, and you might say, Ryan, where are you getting at? I'm not trying to toot my horn. Here's what I'm trying to say, that, that I engaged, I really wanted to obey the Lord, to do the work of, of obedience, to forgive, him, to forgive him, to not bring it up to myself. And, and who changed my heart? I did not change my heart. The Holy Spirit changed my heart heart, that I stepped in obedience and the spirit changed my heart so much so that eight years later, I can shake this guy's hand and truly me and I hope he's doing well. That I step in obedience and let the spirit change me. And some of us are thinking, well, I just can't forgive him. And I want to ask the question, well, are you stepping in obedience? Because if you're not, you're not giving the spirit a place to change your heart. You're grieving him. How in the world is the spirit gonna, gonna step into this, this terrible thing that happened to you if you're not even stepping in obedience? You're like looking at the spirit and said, no thank you, no thank you. Uh, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna keep trying to forgive him on my own. But the truth of the matter is he wants to be a part. And when I step in obedience and I commit to not bring it up to me, them, or other people, I am giving the spirit a platform to shape and mold me. And so I just wanna encourage you, if, if maybe you're like, I, I still have not gotten to a place of forgiveness, recognize forgiveness is not a feeling-based thing, it's a decision-based thing. Make the decision, obey the Lord, and watch the Spirit work in your life. And he might not get your feelings to the place that your mouth is. He might not, he might, it, it, it took me, it seems seven years before my heart caught up to my mouth. He might not do, I don't know when the Spirit's gonna work, but he's going to. And so uh, that, that's my hope that, that you would recognize it, it, that to forgive, it frees you from bitterness. It, it takes you out of your master of bitterness and puts you under your master of the Holy Spirit. And it also reveals Jesus so tremendously loudly. And, and to be honest, I, I, I try to be honest with you guys. Uh, this third reason of why you should forgive I honestly did not want to bring up because it's in the passage and I thought, I sinfully thought, I'm just gonna stop here. I like reveals Jesus loudly, frees me from bitterness. It's good. But I was convicted as I continued to read the passage that why not just let scripture speak for itself? Because the third reason is the, is, are the words of Jesus on why you should forgive. And they're hard. But here's what it says, that, that servant who did not forgive, well, his, his fellow slaves went and told the Lord. And so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. 
Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. Here's Jesus's words on what, here's why you should forgive. And my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. It, it reveals Jesus, it frees me from bitterness, but Jesus warns me strongly if I don't. And this is a hard passage. This is a hard word from the Lord, right? What in the world does he mean? And I can't, I can't pretend I'm gonna give you a picture perfect answer, but some words. I, I've come to see as I wrestle with what, I, what is true, I always need to bring alongside what I know is true. So as we wrestle with these words of Jesus, I need, to, I need to bring alongside what I know is true from other parts of the scriptures, and here's what I know, is that there's nothing I can do to earn salvation or lose salvation. I tell a lie, I have not lost my salvation if I have placed it in Jesus. We need to hear that. There's nothing I can do, it's not a works-based thing. But here's also what I know. I know that when I believe in Jesus and the Spirit invades my life, I live a changed life. Right? And, and the mark of a changed life, the evidence of a changed life is how I forgive other people. One of the biggest evidences is how I forgive other people. That same picture, the, the mark of a BMW is, is that little sign, right? But the, the mark of a Christian is often on the front of our cars is, the, is, the, is how we are forgiving other people. And one of the greatest evidences of a changed life is how I extend the forgiveness he extended to me. And so you might say, well, Ryan, Am I not saved if I don't forgive? And I'm not here to say yes to that for you. I'm not gonna slam the gavel and say yes, but what I, what I am here to do, what I hope, what my, through, these, through these last verses, I only want, want to push you to ask the question for yourself, that you would look at God and ask a hard question, that you would say, Lord, why is it or you'd ask yourself, why is it that I have been forgiven so much and I am not extending so much to another when the Spirit is inside of me? Why is it, Lord? And a couple conclusions. One, maybe you've had a faulty view of Christ's forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you've been looking at Christ's forgiveness some way and, you, and, and it's been affecting your forgiveness with other people and I hope today has been helpful for you. That could be a reason. You have not connected the king's forgiveness with your forgiveness, just like I hadn't for years in, in the story I told. And the solution is in the word, that we connect them. The spirit wants to help us. Another solution, if you ask that question, of why am I not extending forgiveness? It could be that you never received it. That you never came to the Lord and said, Lord, I, I have sinned before you, I am no longer holy. Would you invade my life? I believe that your son paid the cost. And if that's you, if you recognize I've never, never actually received it, so why would I extend it? I, I encourage you to make that decision today. There's people over in the prayer section that would love to speak with you as well. It's one of the best decisions you'll ever make, but we gotta be honest with ourselves. Why are we not extending what has been extended so much to us? And so as the band comes back up, I, um, I, as a college pastor, college students are starting to get married and they're having me officiate their weddings, which is scary. 
<laughs> but I was, I was sitting with Doug and I was like, Doug, help me here because I don't know how to officiate, officiate a wedding. I feel like I'd mess up and do a funeral. And, and it, my conversation with Doug was so helpful for me just in my own marriage. And this conversation with Stem, and I'll, and I'll mention it no matter what wedding I sit in, that often we, we think the vows are the most important thing in a marriage. You have to state the wonderful vows, the, the vows that are true, the vows that are, that are biblical, and that is so true. But sometimes we think the measure of a healthy marriage depends on the, the solidness of your vows that you share on your wedding day. But I, I came to the conclusion, as I was speaking with Doug, that the measure of a healthy marriage is not how strong your vows are, because you're gonna break them. But the measure of a healthy marriage is how much forgiveness we extend to one another when we do break them. And it's something I'll, I'll, always, I'll always remember, that forgiveness is going to set us up for a healthy marriage. Because how could I not extend forgiveness to my wife when Christ extended it to me in such an amazing way? And so I'm not really all that good in New Year's resolutions. I never go through with them. But if there was one to put the task, to step in obedience with this year, why wouldn't it be forgiveness? Improve your marriage and improve your work. And you'll give the spirit a wonderful place to move in your heart. And so we're about to sing a song in forgiveness and I hope, I hope today will allow it to be a little sweeter. That your mouth just wouldn't say thank you, but your life would as well as you walk out this door and go to extend it to other people. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need you. We needed you to enter your family and we need your help as we seek to walk in your family. And for some of us, there's people we're thinking about right now that we have not forgiven. Would you help us? Remind us to step in obedience and we trust your spirit to work. In your name, amen. I invite you to stand. Let's bring this together. I hear the Savior say, My strength indeed is small. Child of watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I sin had left a crimson state he washed still white as snow
soul to say My lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain Give him praise. Thank you to Ryan for opening the scriptures, giving us a picture of what forgiveness looks like um, as Jesus taught us to do that. So as we go, uh, let's not be ones who withholds forgiveness because Jesus did not withhold that from us. So let's be reminded afresh as we go through our day, just the great gift um, that Jesus has given us. And we would show Jesus through our actions and the way that we forgive people. So if we can, like Ryan said, if we can pray for you, we have men and women available between the services that would love to pray with you. Uh, don't leave campus without doing that if you would like prayer. It'll be their joy and be their privilege. So have a great uh, rest of today and the holiday. Happy New Year, and God bless. We'll see you next time.